Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. We explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of WestminsterEffects.com. Go buy stuff for your guitar. We have the Black Friday sale going on right now. Maybe even through the end of next week, depends on how generous I'm feeling and how many of my bills you've helped me pay at that point. So WestminsterEffects.com, you can join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can support the show at anchor.fm. Make sure you subscribe and comment on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Also uploading this stuff to YouTube now. So Bradley, your voice can be heard on multiple platforms now. My goodness. Yep. And that's who I'm joined by in person. Hey, everybody. It's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And old Lutheran John is not joining us today, but he'll have a a pretty grand announcement in our next episode. He is no longer an occasional sexy boat captain. Really? Right. He has something much more permanent and high-ranking. And I'll tell you about that when we stop recording because he has to make that announcement because wow. it's just fantastic. Uh, let's just jump in. We're, we're getting rolling a little later than we anticipated. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Uh, so, Westminster Effects artist Wolves at the Gate just put out a Christmas song. It's heavy. Mm-hmm. And it's theologically rich. So, let's. we haven't done a lyric breakdown in a long time. And I figure, let's do a good one <laughs> to get back into yeah. that. And so, this is uh, from their song, Lowborn. Uh, so, verse 1. Lowborn to the world was the image of what was always invisible, unending light now veiled in the flesh, impossible. Lowborn Savior, setting aside your glory above, Emmanuel, what a world you love. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will raise to life. So that's verse one. Mm-hmm. What pops out at you, Bradley? Um, <clears throat> well, it the the the. The verse does a good job with the sort of paradoxical uh, nature of the incarnation. I mean, like, lowborn to the world was the image of what was always invisible. That's, I like that. Uh, the contrast of what couldn't be seen became seen. Yep. Um, the unending light now veiled in flesh, and, and that, that feels a bit climactic, impossible. I love that. I love they put right. that there. It's it's almost uh, n- not almost. It brings to mind C.S. Lewis talking about the greatest miracle ever was the incarnation. Yeah, right. And who was it? Was it was it Tolkien that he coined the term? I think it was Tolkien coined the term eucatastrophe, which is uh, a word that it it means a sudden turn of events in the story that is absolutely shocking. Yes, and that's to yes. put it mildly. Yes. And, and, you know, um, I think he, he said that the incarnation is the eucatastrophe of human history. Mm-hmm. And the resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the incarnation. Yes. And I, th- I, 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 I thought of that when I read that line is that, you know, for God, and, it, and I think this gets repeated in later verses, but for God the Son to be, become human, to take on flesh impossible yes right. that's that that is how we should think about it setting yep. your glory ab- ab- 
aside, you're setting aside your glory above, Emmanuel, what a world you love. I think those are two statements that I would root in one in Philippians. Yep. When Paul talks about in Philippians chapter two, uh, about he didn't consider equality with God a thing to cling to, but made himself nothing, emptied himself. And then Emmanuel, what a world you love. I think of John 3.16, which often gets misread, but we could talk about that. But I do think that's <laughs> where um, where I would root my thinking. Right. It's it's the global implications of the gospel. It's yeah. God it's, so loved the cosmos. Yes. And that includes people. Yes. But it's not just people. It's the world he created to put his glory on display. He's making all things new. Yeah. He loves what he made that displays his glory so much he sent his son to redeem it. And um, that's where I would root that. So that's that's really good. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will raise to life. I think of Isaiah uh, 62, I believe, uh, where Jesus quoted when he was... Uh, Question by John the Baptist. No, when he or, was given the scroll in Nazareth, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He found the place where it is written, uh, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me; has anointed me to, you know, proclaim the good news to the poor, yep. liberty to the captives, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Uh, so th- it's very easy to root this in scripture. Oh yeah, like the whole the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so onto the chorus: Hear the song of the angels. Glory lays in a manger. Fear not the advent of the great I am. Humble he comes to the world as a lamb. Yep. Love that. Love that. I mean, it's it's all, you talk about the paradox again, mm-hmm. glory in a manger. Mm-hmm. Right. So a feeding trough. <laughs> Fear not the advent of the great I am. I mean, that was the song of the angels, right? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Because really, like that, that's so funny. Because really you should be. Right, yeah. especially, especially with the imagery that we're given of angels, they're not like naked, fat babies with wings. No, they are way more terrifying than that, and they have to say, "Hey, don't be afraid," because they're terrifying. <laughs> that and really, like for the notion that Yahweh would show up on the planet is a fearful one. Right, we should be afraid of that. Where the Old Testament talks of the coming of Yahweh in judgment repeatedly. Yes, and. It's, you know, talking about mountains melting and stuff like that. Well, all of a sudden, Yahweh is now in a feeding trough. Which is why I struggle so much with how people typically, you know, live through the Advent season and even read the birth narratives in Luke 2 or Matthew, wherever. Is that it's just so, like, we've made it, what's the word to describe how it, 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 it just feels like another fairy tale of, of it's like a precious moment scene yeah pre- there you go <laughs> but it really it, it it's paradoxical for the angels to declare fear not right that's paradoxical in and of itself because god has shown up and it yeah in a way that seems lowly low born um in a manger that's that's right it seems lowly and humble and obscure but if he is who the angels declare him to be, we should be afraid. But I bring you good news of great joy. Right. Because he came humble yeah. as a lamb. You know, you obviously have the little rhyme going on there, but it, yeah. it all works out. Yep. Uh, and it's not hokey, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Which Wolves at the Gate doesn't do. They don't do hokey. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there's little, you know, with <laughs> you're not as familiar with uh, with hardcore and metal song structures, no. and and the dirty secret is there's not really song structure <laughs> most of the time. Mm. So we have this little post chorus. Come behold and hear the angels sing. Lift your voices. Hail the lowborn king. Talk about paradox. There's some more lowborn and king. Mm-hmm. See the mystery. God become a man. Lift your voices to the lamb. Mm-hmm. So pretty basic there. Yeah. Nothing, nothing crazy, but all true. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the whole song is is this like every every line seems to be um putting words to the paradox, and I love that. Um, Come behold, hear the angels sing. Lift your voices, hail the lowborn king. See the mystery, God become a man. Lift your voices to the lamb. That's that's great. That's just yeah. I love it. Yeah. So verse two, chased and hunted down by kings that sought his crown. Still, he never thought to return and withdraw grace. Selfless is the God who makes peace with us fallen people. He has come for those who are in the shadow of death. Oh, the lowborn savior. What a world you love. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those, those first two lines are pretty legit. Yeah. You, you think of the, the flight to Egypt. Yep. And Herod. Yeah. And, and, but then even later on, uh, with, with the crucifixion being labeled King of the Jews, ironically, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of thing. But, but you know, it, it's, it's, to me, it's startling to think that Herod, Herod was thinking well about the birth of Christ. Right. I mean, that probably thinking better about it mm-hmm. than in some ways than even Mary and Joseph. You know what did what, <laughs> yeah. you know, Mary? Did you know? I mean, I, she knew some. She knew a lot. She knew things. I mean, she had been told things. Uh, but it, Herod, Herod is not wrong. A king has been born, and that king is a threat. You yeah, know, that king, yeah. that king's throne usurps all other thrones, and his thought was, it, in a wicked way, I, I better kill this kid. Right. It well, it goes to show, like the King of Kings showing up in the world has consequences, yes. even for kings, mm-hmm. right? So you know we've talked about before Romans thirteen isn't a blank check, no. And there's different ways to understand when we should resist, right? Right. But there are implications for even Herod right then when Jesus was still <laughs> he he had just come out of the neonatal unit. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So onto the bridge. Lowborn God, save us from sin. Lowborn God, save us. Come save our souls. So pretty basic, mm-hmm. but still, we've moved from lowborn king to lowborn God. Mm. So probably the height of the paradox here, right? Yeah. Like the triune God, the the second person of that God, mm-hmm. has been born lowly into a feeding trough. Again, mm-hmm. no nobility. Yep. Uh, wasn't born into any kind of power or status or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Which is so, I mean, it's so sweet. It's such a sweet thing about the gospel is that we, you know, I, I, I want to say the gospel forces us into humility by us having to look upon Christ who humbled himself. Right. Who emptied himself. You know, we just did a Bible study in Philippians two, right before we hit record here, um, and we're, we've been wrestling with this phrase that that Paul has in Philippians two, where he says, "Have this mind, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, mm-hmm. being in the form of God, did not consider equality of God with God a thing to cling to or be grasped. So the, the humility of Christ's advent, um, it, it, it is a... It is a pride-squashing thing to look upon a baby in a manger and go, save me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like it's one oh, thing, yeah. it's one thing to, to, to be in awe of a king, you know, dressed in splendor, riding in on his high horse and, and uh, you know, oh, he can save me. Right. You think of like Aragorn and Lord yeah. of the Rings or something like, oh, yeah, let me get behind that. Let me get behind that guy. Let me get behind this baby. <laughs> baby born in a manger and, and and a God who makes himself nothing, a God who humbles himself and says, it, you know, God, the son, I didn't come to be served, but to be, I didn't come to ser- to be served, but to serve. Right. Yeah. That's, that's startling. That's, that's humbling. Right. Right. So into, since there's a multi-part breakdown. So breakdown one, the unseen God silently lays waiting until the glorious day. The incarnate divine put his life out on the line for children of the dust while lifting up our curse. Mm-hmm. It made me think of uh, the third verse of Joy to the World, uh, which which a lot of people don't realize is actually a second coming hymn. Mm-hmm. It's not properly a Christmas carol. <clears throat> right. But obviously, Advent has implications for the second Advent. Right. <laughs> you don't have one without the other. Right. Uh, but no, let, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. The, like we were talking mm-hmm. about, the cosmos. Yeah, right? right, right. So, but you also have the incarnate divine. You know, you've got divinity putting his human life on the line yes being vulnerable yeah you know me being weak uh being it, it's 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 the epitome of meekness i think you know yep. it's it's it, it's it, he could have relied on his divine nature right but he didn't right because and i think this gets into some of the heresy that um I think does make its way around um, the evangelical world that Christ set aside his divinity. He did not set aside his divinity. Right. He set aside the glory associated with his divinity, but he could not cease to be who he was. Right. He did not cease to be God. And so therefore um, we know he could have relied on his divine nature, but he didn't. Yep. He lived from his humanity uh, from day one. Right, you yep. know, uh, he lived from his humanity uh, and grew in in wisdom and stature. He grew and matured and depended on the Spirit, and that's that's glorious. Yep. And we've got more of the paradox and breakdown too. The lowborn will save us, guide us into the way of peace. Lowborn, guide us into peace. Lowborn, make our sorrows cease. So, still singing this one to someone who is not he he is lowborn. Right, no nobility, no royalty, at least earthly. Mm-hmm. Uh, who will save us, mm-hmm. guide us into peace, and end our sorrows? Yes, and saying this to a baby. <laughs> yes, 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 and and you know this is you know not um, the same as Ricky Bobby's blessing in. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you know, dear Lord, baby Jesus, you know, it, seven but, pound, eight uh, ounce. Yeah, right, yeah. right. But this is, this Thank is for my smoking hot wife. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're, you know, his, we were just talking about this in this Bible study is that the, the glory of Christ put on display in humility, uh, the glory of Christ put on display, uh, not with feet like burnished bronze and, and a sword coming out of his mouth like John saw, but in mm-hmm. a manger, in you know, be- becoming man and living as a man and experiencing being tempted in every way as we are. That 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 the glory of Christ is put on display in all these aspects of the incarnation, and we look to Him and say, "Save us!" I mean, when He rode into Jerusalem, the cry was, "Hosanna! Save us now!" And and as Isaiah says, he. Wasn't much to look at. No, like wasn't. even even beyond the not having the feet of burnished bronze, like he was just he looked like a dude. Yeah, which is you you unpack the words that Paul uses in Philippians two, uh, form of God, form of man, likeness yep. of man. Yep. Uh, wh- what he's saying there is that he 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 looked like a man, and he actually was a man, uh, yep. is a man, and and still. All of that without ceasing to be God. That's 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 what makes the incarnation so. Uh, mysterious and paradoxical is that 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 could actually happen. How could that actually happen? That he could do that? Well, he's God, right? And that's how he did. It. <laughs> so we then have a refrain before the final chorus, uh, where they basically flatten a couple of the lines from the chorus. Hear the song of the angels. Glory comes to us as a lamb. Mm. So this glorious God coming to us to be sacrificed, which makes me think of Revelation five, right? Right. It's like the you know, lambs. I heard, and then I turned and saw. I, yeah, I heard about a lion, and yep. I turned and saw not just a lamb, a little lamb, mm-hmm. looking as if it had been slain, and that that's just an which, incredible, picture. which would have been like throat sliced wide open. Yeah, bloodletting. Yeah. He, yeah. This is a bloody little lamb that is a conquering lion. Yeah. And that's just, uh, I love that. Yeah. And so does the chorus again, and then the outro, come behold and hear the angels sing, lift your voices, hail the lowborn king, see the mystery, God become a man, lift your voices, glory to the lowborn. Mm-hmm. So more of the same. Yeah. But really good. You know, I... I <laughs> This is, I have not listened to this song musically, like, so I, I, I'm not going to comment on the musicality of it, but th- lyrically, this is one of the most robust incarnational songs I've ever seen. Yes. Um, and I, I so appreciate that because I think, you know, I, I've always been a, a critic of new Christmas music. Yeah. Because I don't know, for whatever reason, it just seems to come across cheesy to me, but I'm thankful for lyrics like this that- right really bring out like this is this is rich theology there's so much rich theology that really does require meditation and wrestling when it comes to christmas it's not yeah. oh yeah. it's not as simple as you know away in a manger no crying he makes it's like like we we've got a there's a lot to think about in the incarnation and this this would be a really helpful yeah, yeah. I, it really I doubt is. it's I doubt it's P Dubs or whatever you call no, it. No, it is very much not P Dubs. <laughs> but the the lyrics are great. It's heavy. I, I think it's probably one of their heaviest songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, it's good. And there is a lyric video for those of you who don't understand metal vocals very well. So <laughs> metal vocals, I love it I because love it. it does have a, a pretty good ratio of 
singing to screaming and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, good job, Wolves at the Gate. Yes. Go, go listen to that. Go listen to all their stuff. It's all good. Mm. It's all really good. Uh, let's move on to the Inquisition. Position where you directly contribute to the show. Oh, your screen turned off. Fix it. Uh, you ask us questions, we answer them on the fly. As is tradition, we start with Brian Morris. Pretty good question here. Should we, as the church, be doing a better job of training our musicians in-house rather than being dependent upon them coming to us trained or seeking outside lessons? And if so, how can we do that? Um, well, I, you, you know, we, we did recently, uh, and I think Stephen's planning on doing more of this is our worship leader here said, Hey, high schoolers, if you're mm-hmm. interested in learning about what we're doing, we're going to have this dinner and whatever. Mm-hmm. And what four of them showed up Yeah, and you know, they'll be in the pipeline eventually at least. <laughs> so I think, I think it, it kind of depends on your church's bandwidth honestly. yeah we're, I, I, we're not an enormous church we're not going to really be having you know guitar and drum and piano lessons for every single perspective uh kid who's interested but yeah. we'll work with people well and i think you know i just like at a foundational level i think i think the church needs to be more attentive to giftedness uh, and recognizing giftedness in people, and particularly at a young age, and finding ways to to allow students and even children to be involved in the life of the church. I think that's a yes. really good thing to do. Yes. But in a similar fashion to, I would recommend this, like similar fashion to, um, I network with a lot of Christian counselors, mm. and uh, I do a lot of referring. Um, I think it'd be good to network with people who are, you know, equipped and trained to train others in musical worship. Um, and, you know, we have a guy, we have a you know couple of people that we uh, are connected to or network with that, you know, my son's taking lessons from one and, and we've done some recording with one, one guy who's got his own studio and teaches students. And then we have a lady in our church that teaches. And, um, you know, I know that there are several kids in our church that are learning music and yep. learning it in, from people who who are part of the church and think about worship and not just teaching them how to play music in general. So I I don't know. I I don't know that there's a magic formula to it. It's just you got to you got to make efforts and according to your bandwidth. Yeah. I think it kind of goes along the lines of raising up leaders from within the church as well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a both and there where if somebody needs to come in from outside then fine. You know. And I would go back to something we talked about in a previous episode too, is that if your if your church places too high a value on performance quality, you're going to limit the amount of incubation that can take place within your local congregation for musicians and singers that are growing up in the church to be able to contribute. You've got to be willing to let people. It's like my son last night mm-hmm. had a recital. Basically, and he played uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates theme, right? of the Caribbean main theme. He played, and and here's the deal. I, I love the way his piano teacher does this. They didn't call it a recital. It was an artist showcase, 
is what he called it. And mm-hmm. and he had some some of the I mean, he has adult students as well as, you know, young kids learning. You know, he he partnered some of them up in bands. Like um like he put a, a kid who was taking piano with a kid who was learning drums and then he had a an adult playing bass. Mm-hmm. And then there was um, a vocalist who sang Billy Joel's song Vienna. Oh yeah, and they did that, and that was so. It was you know several musicians contributing together, right? And I, I just love that. But and it yep. wasn't perfect, but it was still it, good. It never is. Yeah, spoiler it's, alert. It's still good, and you got to make room for that somehow in the life of the church. I think. Yeah. So, all right. Next question: Are you familiar with the whole side B Christianity Revoice Conference kind of thing? No. Okay. So. Let me read you the mission statement from the Revoice Conference, and then we'll get to the question. So, it says, to support and encourage gay, lesbian, bisexual, and other same-sex attracted Christians, as well as those who love them, so that all in the church might be empowered to live in gospel unity while observing the historic Christian doctrine of marriage and sexuality. So, they're basically saying there are gay Christians who are only ever going to be be gay. So they want to follow Jesus and they also want to obey him. So that's good, right? Um, My issue with it is they're buying into the identity of being homosexual, right? Yeah. Right. It sounds that way on the surface. Right. I think like – I don't uh, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah. Uh, so, so my issue with that is they're buying into the postmodern notion that has turned sex from something you do into who you are. Right. So that's my issue. And it sounds like that's going to probably be along the lines of your issue with that as well. If that is what they're saying, I think right. like I've heard many people use, they they use labels to describe people that and yep. might mean different things. Right. A gay Christian. Right. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean right. that could mean anything from a practicing homosexual who professes faith in Christ to someone who has same sex attraction right. and is endeavoring to follow Christ and not give in to right. that inclination wherever right. it came from. Right. And and so my issue with that then is you wouldn't and and we really only extend this to one sexuality homosexuality mm-hmm. and two alcoholism true uh you wouldn't say that with well i'm a kleptomaniac christian exactly <laughs> i'm a wife beating christian yeah i'm not either of those just for the record before anybody right. rips that out of context right <laughs> puts me on pulpit and pen or something mm-hmm. um so those are the only two that we do that with, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's an issue. Uh, it is, and and I, I I struggle sometimes thinking like the people that I've you know interacted with and pastored who've had alcohol addiction or or some other substance addiction in yep. the past. They're 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 it's many of them have gone through AA and NA, mm-hmm. and which both of those that program it does lead you to conclude i am an addict i'm always going to yes. be an addict and there is comfort that those people find and strength that they find and resolve that they find mm-hmm. in accepting that 
almost as an identity that yeah like, like in other words yeah. i know because i'm an addict because i'm an alcoholic or a drug addict i can't go into a bar i can't go to applebee's and sit at the bar mm-hmm. and expect to to remain sober that just doesn't work for right. me i can't have one drink because mm-hmm. if i have one drink i'm gonna have 14 right i so there there is something helpful about that in the recovery process mm-hmm. um, but then in the long term but in the long yeah. term it does like you know and i think again i would I've, I've referenced it many times you guys know i mean jonathan edwards freedom of the will is is a really good um the way he talks about desires and and, yep. and he even uses the uh, the analogy of an alcoholic who has a desire to drink but leans into the greater desire to be sober. Right. Right. Uh, both are desire motivated. Right. It's just which is the greater. So, in in the case of a homosexual, you know, there I'm not unwilling to say that there could be there there there's definitely an inclination there. Right. Sure. Sure. Maybe they're even born with it. Sure. Uh, but I would not endorse anything else he says. But I heard Robert Jeffries in an interview, First Baptist Dallas, mm-hmm. say um, that he was on a debate with with uh, a, a gay priest of some kind. I don't know. And and he just said to the guys, "Look, all sexuality is a choice. It doesn't matter what inclinations mm-hmm. you have." Or what, and what you were born with, nobody puts a gun to your head. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's like you. It all sexuality yeah. is a choice, and if we base our identity on what we're inclined to do, versus yep. versus basing our rooting our identity in truth, right? It does. It doesn't matter what sphere of life you're in. That's hugely problematic, to put it mildly. Yeah. So the question then is, from Austin Dobbs, a member of your worship band comes to you stating he or she is side B. <laughs> what do you do then? Meaning so, they have same-sex attraction. Right. So let's so let's just whatever. Let's just say like let's, you know, pull out the side B thing because that is an important thing, but let's just say a worship band or even a small group leader or some whatever comes to you or Steven and says I am struggling with this particular attraction. Mm-hmm. And so, and I would say struggling, like not giving in, not just saying, Hey, I got a new boyfriend mm-hmm. or right, what have right, you. Right. There's so much stuff that's going to be taken out of context that people are just going to clip and just have all kind of fun with in the podcast lounge. Yeah. Which, <laughs> exactly. but, but let's say a, a man on the worship team says, Hey, I'm struggling with this. Now what? Well, my first step with that person would be to have some s- intentional, extended truth conversation. Mm-hmm. Like what I want to know, it's it's one thing to say I'm struggling. Yep. And 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 in other words, I'm struggling with an inclination or a temptation. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to say I'm struggling with what the truth is. Right. You need you got to right. get to that bottom first is how is this person rooting their thinking where are they rooting their thinking what are they anchored to in the struggle because if the struggle yep. is hey i'm i i have this attraction or inclination and i'm not sure whether or not i can give in to that and 
you know, I'm not sure, you know, the you know what culture's saying is is really anti-biblical. I'm not sure about the, the if that's the struggle, then then we've got bigger problems. Right. Regardless of what the temptation might be. Yep. But if we can have a truth conversation where I know this person's thinking is rooted in scripture. This mm-hmm. person is this this person understands sexuality from a biblical standpoint, but they've got they've got a flesh. Right. Right. They've got right. a they've got maybe even a bent that they're resisting and fighting. Then the conversation becomes how do we support you? How do we mm-hmm. encourage you? How do we come alongside you based on where they are in that struggle? Right. Because I know, listen, I know a man who is 71 or two years old, has been the, I don't know what his exact title is, but the worship pastor, the director of all music and worship at a particular church mm-hmm. for probably going on 40 years at the same church. Talk about a company man, right? And <laughs> he has same-sex attraction. That At least that's been his inclination. And he's lived celibate all his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know about the accountability and the... The, the kind of the ways he's in which he's given himself to Christian community and leaned into biblical truth. And to my knowledge, I'm not saying he's never, mm-hmm. in, you know, like indulged that inclination in some way or another, right. whether it would be pornography or something else. But I know, I know that this man has leaned into biblical sexuality and has embraced celibacy as what, he, what his life is going to be. Is right. that, I, I'm I'm not attracted to women, and mm-hmm. so, but I'm not going to sin. Right. That that's been his basic attitude, and I think in the struggle, I think he's got a lot of clarity about it, and therefore, I would not say that he needs to be removed from. Right. That should be applauded. That should be applauded. Yeah. Because he's no he's no different than the guy who's also on the praise team who's you know fighting porn. Yeah, or yeah. some other sin. I think that that what I want to. My point is, I want to know. I want to have a truth conversation, mm-hmm. and then I want to have a maturity conversation. Like, where are you in leaning into that truth? And based on that, I would make a determination. Yeah, as to how we care and support, care for and support that person, which could mean they need to take a break from the platform, or it could mean that we just need to. You know, commit to prayer and conversation yep. on some level of regularity, or it could mean we just celebrate what God's doing in your life, right? And help right. and how He's uh, uh, leading you and empowering you to reckon yourself dead to sin. Yep. Last question from Ferenc Zindley: <laughs> If you are a Christian coffin builder and business is slow, how do you pray? <laughs> <laughs> that's like a far side joke is what yeah that right it's like uh, that would make, i don't uh how do you pray <laughs> <laughs> i mean do you start going in on imprecatory psalms or <laughs> hey god can you kill a bunch of people so i can pay my bills <laughs> it's, like, it's like dwight said there's too many people in we need world. a new play we need a new play oh uh, wait wait oh we had one <laughs> is it too soon oh, or is it not gosh. soon enough do, do I respond to this question seriously, or I mean, do whatever you want, man. <laughs>
So he oh trusts God gosh. for provision, clearly, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's maybe honest. maybe you diversify your business a little bit so you're not <laughs> relying only on people dying. Well, but listen, you know, it's appointed unto man once to die. <laughs> And precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So, Lord, if there are some saints that have finished the race, <laughs> let's, and if prayer is a means by which God accomplishes his pre we, we can just go all yes, day sir. on this, right? Yeah. There's a lot of promises to lean into. <laughs> Maybe promises to lean into for other people. There you go. There you go. Hey, just give, give you know, sow some seed in hospice ministry, like, like, Go, go go all prosperity on them, you know. <laughs> Start passing out business cards at the hospice, right? Yeah, yeah. Go yeah. to the nursing home and yeah. just befriend a bunch of old people. That's right. And, you know, talk to the nurses a little bit and, you know, tell them, hey, you know. Uh, never mind. I'm not even going to go there. I, <laughs> I'm too hungry to answer that yeah. question right now. Well, I don't even know where you're going with that. Mm. This is not a this is not a question about cannibalism. No, no, not no, no. Oh. I know some. I, I know some people in the in cannibalism. No, in oh. graves okay, and, okay. and and mortuary business. And all I can tell you is, I don't think any of them are hurting. No, like I. No, they're pretty much never hurting. If there's an industry that doesn't <laughs> seem to ebb and flow with the 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 economic uh, ups and downs that we typically see, it's got to be funerals and mortuaries because, right. you know, it's like, what are you going to do? I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, and people, people, it, it's really sad in some ways because, I mean, like we had somebody die, a shut-in died um, last weekend. I got funeral, what's today, Tuesday? I got a funeral yep. tomorrow. Um, the, the husband, man, his wife was adamant that she did not want to be cremated. Mm-hmm. And we could have a whole other discussion about cremation probably, but she did not want to be cremated. She wanted to have a coffin and be buried and all this kind of stuff. And they had no life insurance, no savings. And and a funeral is going to cost you bare minimum in this part of the country, ten to $15,000. Yep. I mean, that's just minimum. Um, so I just don't know any of them that are really hurting. So... Yeah. <laughs> Where's where Ferret from? Uh, he's from Hungary. Yeah. Maybe it's different there. Maybe but. it's different there. Maybe they're not dying in the former Eastern Bloc like they used to. No. That's another. Ooh, that's another subject. There you go. Eastern Bloc countries. Anyway. <laughs> yep. Thanks for listening to the Westminster of Exoxology podcast. Love God. Love your neighbor. Go make some music. We'll see you next week. Bye.